Anyway, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Um, I do hope that you're having a wonderful day, whether you're a mom or not. I know being a mom of six, uh, it's interesting when I get to tell people that. Um, some people, like in this community, there's a lot of large families, and so I can tell based on how you respond to that how many kids you have usually. If I say I'm a mom of six, and you know, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that means you have about five, six, seven, ten. Um, but then there's the other ones where I'm like a mom of six, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, why? Why do you have that many kids? I'll be praying for you. And I actually, I love being a mom of six. Going from one to three, I made a big jump there to four. Everybody was like, you're having another one? Oh, my goodness. But after four, they're like, when's the next one coming? Um, And so I still get that, ask that often. So I'm just letting you know we're done. Uh, No more kids after that. Little guy seven. And and I think we're good to go. Post diapers, it's, it's actually awesome. So um, I'll just be praying for all of you to continue to keep that run going. Matt's sister has five, so she's, she's picking that up for us. Um, anyway, it is awesome being a mom. I love doing that. But I would say that what I love most is being a child of God. Because that's where my strength comes from. That's where my peace comes from. That's what allows me to be a good mom. Um, but second to that, I love being a wife. I love being a wife. That's my second calling. I know sometimes we can get that wrong, that we prefer our kids over our spouse, but that kind of messes everything up because for my kids, the best thing I can do is show them how to be a good wife, to show them how to love uh, their husband well, to show them how to have a good marriage so that when they leave my home, hopefully many, many years from now, um, they know how to do that well and to have a good marriage. And so in priority, I, I have to focus on being a child of God and then being a wife first. And then my kids are taken care of because God's a good God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, So I wanted to share a couple testimonies before we dig in today. First of all, who was at the uh, encounter conference that we had at the beginning of the year? A few of you. For the rest of you, you should definitely come to that. It was amazing. But one of the pervading themes was that God was going to move in the community and people were going to begin walking in off the streets. So they were going to come, they were going to feel drawn to this place, and they were just going to uh, show up. And so uh, about a month or so ago, that happened. A guy showed up midweek, and he was broken, and he was wanting to find Jesus, and he's like, I don't even, I don't even know why I'm walking in these doors. I just felt like as I was driving by, I needed to show up. We found him in the parking lot, um, and so I got to lead him to Jesus, a privilege to lead him to Jesus. And now he's being surrounded. People are reaching out to him, like, and, and things are happening in his life. And I just wanted to share that because that's how big our God is. Yeah. At the same day, there was a youth that walked in, and she said, I've just been lonely, and I feel like I've lost all the people around me, and I just heard good things about this place, so I wanted to show up. I mean, a youth. That's a big deal. It's a big deal for anybody to walk into a place where you don't really know anyone. But for a young kid to walk into a place, a youth group, not knowing anyone and saying, I just hope that I find community here, it's huge. It's impactful. And so since then, there has been so many stories. I shared this in our Jerseyville campus, and they were like, hey, guess what? It's happening here, too. Let me just tell you um, of all the people that are showing up and calling in. And so God's really doing something. In a world where it seems like things are going in the wrong direction, God is moving. He is calling people. He is drawing them. And if we will just be a lighthouse for God, if we will just be a place that embodies his presence, then God will bring them to us. And I don't mean just here in this building. I mean you, yourself, in your home. There was a book that I read called Prayer Evangelism. It was fantastic. But the story that stuck out to me the most is that this uh, group of people 
before they ever said a word to anyone in that um, community, they went around praying. And they would pray day after day after day at 1 o'clock every Friday or whatever it was. And then after some time, they decided that they were going to go witness to some people in that community. And there was a lady that was waiting for them. Before they even came up to the door, she walked out, and she was like, I've been waiting for you. And they're like, what? Waiting for us? Like, we didn't make any announcement that we were showing up. And she was like, I've been watching that you walk around here at the same time every week, and I always feel peace. I always feel peace. God was ministering to her before anyone said a word because they were embodying the presence of God. And so I just want to encourage you, if you will do that, God will bring people to you. There will be people that were saying, I was waiting for you to show up. I was waiting for you to speak to me because I felt God doing something beforehand. And so that's the church we want to have. That's hopefully the homes that you want to have, and that's the life you want to live, that God is making an impact through you before you even say a word. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk to you today about a story in the book of Exodus um, and about a mom on Mother's Day. And in the beginning of Exodus, it kind of opens up and it sets the setting for where we find this mom. And what was happening is Genesis had been talking about this family, Jacob and his sons. And so Exodus opens up and says, okay, they're all dead. They're all gone. Um, And what happened is the Pharaoh that knew Joseph that was giving favor to the Hebrews, he's dead too. And so all of the people that were kind to the Hebrews, that were kind to this nation, that were taking care of them. They're all gone, and a successor rose up that didn't know Joseph, and he saw the Hebrews as a threat. And it says in the first chapter of Exodus that he looked around, and he said that all of these people, they have multiplied more than even we have. And one day, they're going to go inside with our enemies, and so we need to do something about that. And so his plan was to oppress the Hebrew nation, to put them in slavery and in bondage. And he was thinking that if he did that, then they would stop reproducing and that they would grow and they wouldn't come and go, uh, go against him with their enemies. And so as they put them under tribute of slavery, he found that the opposite was happening. They started multiplying more. I'm sure that was a head scratcher. He's like, why do these people keep multiplying when they're in slavery? Why do they want to have kids in this? So he's like, I got to, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll oppress them more. We'll just make it harder. We'll, we'll make their work and their tasks more. But yet the Hebrews, they multiplied more. So he had to come up with a new plan. And he said, okay, well, what I'll do is we'll just order the midwives when the Hebrew women were having babies that if it's a daughter, leave her alone. But if it's a son, kill him. Kill the son. And thankfully, we read in Exodus that the Hebrew wives, midwives, they feared the Lord, and they said, no way, no way. And so they told the king, actually, these Hebrew women, they're like super strong. They give birth before the Egyptian women. Like before we even get there, they give birth to them. They're so much stronger than the Egyptian moms. And so the king had to do something different. But the Bible does tell us in that moment that because the midwives feared God more than they feared the order of the king, that God dealt well with him. That's something that stands out to me in this story because oftentimes we come and we hear authorities telling us that we should do something against God's will. And God's saying, who do we fear? Do you fear them or do you fear me? But if we fear God over fearing man, God will deal well with us. Even if we're in the middle of slavery, even if we're in the middle of oppression, no matter what's going on, God will take care of us if we will choose to fear him over fearing man. And so because of that, the king, he had to come up with a new plan. 
So he's like, well, I'll just order the Egyptians to go and find the male babies and throw them in the Nile River. And so this is the setting that this young mom finds herself in. She's a slave. She's been a slave most of her life. She's under the order of the babies being killed. She's watching her friends lose babies. She's watching this happen. And then on top of that, she finds herself pregnant. She has two other young kids that she's caring for in the midst of this situation. And I can only imagine the fear and the anxiety and the stress, maybe even the anger that she was experiencing in this moment when she finds herself pregnant. What am I going to do? Like, can you put yourself in that situation? What am I going to do with this baby? I need to figure something out. And then you got nine months that you have to worry and wonder and pray about what to do. Yehokabed, she was born a slave, only known slavery, hasn't owned property, under the authority of these taskmasters, pregnant, trying to figure out what to do in this moment. And so when this baby's born, we're going to read here in Exodus 2, 1 through 10, how she handles this situation. It says, a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi, So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked alongside the river. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maids to go get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, Moses' sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages for it. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Then the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. So let's pray before we dig in. Dear Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth in it. I thank you for the wisdom that we find in your word, Lord. But I thank you for the power in it, the power that it never returns void, Lord God, that there is the truth that can transform a heart, that can build faith, They can give us everything we need. And so, God, today I pray that every heart and every ear is open to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So these are ten short verses, but there is so much in this story. I I enjoyed reading and studying this story, and there was tons that I could pull out, so I shrunk it down for you. Um, But the first thing that I pulled out is clearly Moses had never been pregnant. I don't know if you noticed in verse 2, it said, and she conceived and bore a son. Yeah, well, that's the way a father would definitely write that story, Um, but a mother would write that story just a little bit different. It would be kind of more like she conceived, she had morning sickness, Um, she had uh, cravings, she really wanted pickles with pizza and ice cream all at the same time, Um, but only today because next week she's going to want something completely different. Then she heard a heartbeat, yay, and everybody should be excited about that. Um, She had some sciatic pain and um, exhaustion. And she found out the gender, and then a very long labor story that we don't have time to really even come up with one right now. Then she bore a son. Am I right? 
Like, seriously. So um, we can tell, based on how the Bible is written, who the author is. But what we see is that at the time when Pharaoh's cruelty rose to its height, when Pharaoh was oppressing the people in some of the greatest horrific ways, it was at that moment that God brought a deliverer. He brought a deliverer. And when men are projecting the church's ruin, God is actually preparing for its salvation. In a time right now when it seems like maybe things are going in the wrong direction, I just want to encourage you that God does have a plan for salvation. But when the enemy is planning your destruction, God is planning for your victory. Do you see it when you're in a challenging situation? Do you see what God is doing in the midst of your struggle? And do you trust that he has a way of escape for you? Oftentimes, our salvation, our answer comes as inconspicuous as a baby did here in this moment. Sometimes we really have to look, and it really takes some faith. But God is truly up to something good. And so the title of my message today is, What is God up to? What is God up to? What is he up to in your life? What is he saying to you? What is the plan that he has for your life that he's wanting you to grab hold with some faith to? And so there's a couple points in the story that I want to point out to you. Number one is that it says she saw he was beautiful. And this was interesting to me because I would hope that every mother would have a baby and see that the baby is beautiful, right? I mean, it's kind of sad if your mom doesn't think you're beautiful, right? So this Hebrew word that is tov, it means pleasant, agreeable, good, favored. It means favored. And so if we jump over to the same story in Hebrews 11.23, it says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. They saw he was no ordinary child. And then it says because of that they were not afraid of the king's edict, of the king's ruling. So what the Bible is telling us is it's not that he was just beautiful, that there was something that they were seeing on him. There was something that was different than the other babies that they were seeing on him because Jehokabed, she had two other kids. She had Miriam and she had Aaron. And so it wasn't that she was having favorites at this moment, but she was saying, I see something different in this baby. If we go to Acts 7.20, same story, It says, at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. So what they were seeing, this non-ordinary thing, was that the hand of God was really on this baby. Do you see where the hand of God is on your life? Do you see what he's highlighting to you? Do you see where his favor is, the direction that his favor is pointing in? Or do you miss that? Because we can't take a step of faith. We can't move forward if we don't see the direction that God is pointing in. And oftentimes, it's inconspicuous as favor. So I just want to ask you today, where is there favor in your life? What is God highlighting? What is he blessing? And are you moving towards that? You have to see what God is highlighting so that you can move. There's uh, a funny story from a couple, probably a couple months ago now. Matt was on the playground um, with the kids, and it was a really cold day, so he loves this story. Um, it was a really cold day, and so I was in the car, as every good mom should be on a cold day, cheering them from the car saying, good job, and he was out running around playing with the kids. Actually, 
the older kids I kind of kicked out of the car, and they're like, what? Um, but the younger kids he was running around playing tag with, and I could kind of see him running around and chasing them. And then all of a sudden he comes back limping. And I was like, oh, no, what happened on a playground um, with our kids? And so he was like, well, okay, I was playing tag with the kids. And we were running, and Evie was gaining some ground on me. She was getting a little closer. And so what I decided to do, and it was at Lakeview Park. Do you guys know that little zip line that's maybe about two whole feet long? and, and pretty Okay. So he was going to grab the zip line, fly across it, jump off, and gain some ground on her. But what actually happened is he grabbed it, he couldn't get himself to jump off, and he slammed into that pole that was at the bottom, yeah, and cracked his kneecap. Uh, So he came limping, and I'm like, man, uh, she's 11. So first of all, you couldn't outrun her. You had to jump on the zip line, and you didn't see the pole that's on the bottom that you cracked your knee on. So he wound up going to the doctor, and she's like, "Uh, you, you fractured your patella fractured his patella because he didn't see a pole on the bottom. Now I realize that story might not be like super uh, pointing on that, but it was a great opportunity to be able to share how Matt plays on the playground and get him back for a few of the things that he said to me. But the point is, do you see what God is highlighting? Because God's going to highlight things. He's going to highlight favor. He's going to highlight open doors and tell us to move in this direction. But he'll highlight poles too and say, hey, don't hit that. So we have to be in tune with God, and we have to be able to see what he's highlighting to us. Do you recognize when he's doing that in your life? Do you recognize it so you can align your life with where he's pointing? Point number two is that she took a step, and then she hid him. So when she saw that God was clearly favoring this child, that there was something about this child, she took the only step she probably knew to take in that moment and say, like, what do I do? I... I hide him. Like, it's the only step that I know that it's in front of me, but I'm going to take that one. It probably doesn't even seem like a good step because hiding a little infant baby when you're under the bondage of slavery probably is not, in our view, in the world's point of view, the best step. Because I know for me, like, I've tried to keep my baby quiet in church when they were young. Have you guys ever done that? Like, sure, and like, what happens is you bring your baby in church, it's loud, people are talking, worship's going, baby is out sleeping during the entire thing. The music's loud. You think if anything's going to wake the baby, it's going to be the worship and the loud and the singing and all that stuff, especially if Matt's standing next to you singing like he's extra loud. And so like this would have to wake the baby. But as soon as it gets quiet and the preacher starts to preach, baby's eyes pop open. And all of a sudden the baby's awake and wanting to play. And so me, as this goes on, the baby's becoming more awake. I am no longer listening to the message. I'm like, shh, how the baby keep doing this? Keep the baby, you know, entertain the baby. I don't know what they're saying. Just don't cry. Um, And then the altar call comes. Everybody bow your head. Reflect on what God's telling you. Baby screams. I grab baby. I'm running out the church trying to like, dear Lord, don't let them miss their moment with God. Um, So she did that for three months. So I'm like, good job, Yehokaved, right, for being able to care for that baby and not get caught for three months. But what we see is that God had to have been protecting her. God had to have been covering her. She didn't know that in the moment when she took that step of faith. But when she did, God said, I got you. I got you every day. 
and I got you every night that you are putting your trust in me. I am covering. I am making sure that those Egyptians don't hear the baby crying, and that baby must have been a super quiet baby. Um, And God was covering in that moment. See, she's excited about it. Many times we ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Have you guys ever asked that? God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'll go anywhere you want me to go. And he, all he does is he highlights something. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. Is that you? Is it just me? You're like, yeah, I just don't really want to do that. Can you, like, can you like care for it? Can you give me all the steps? Can you show me exactly how this is going to work out? Like, I will if you'll show me everything. And he's like, no, just today. Just take this step today. Just grab that baby and just decide you're going to stand on faith. And you're going to trust me to care for it. See, see, God never opens a door that he hasn't prepared for us to walk through, right? She's really into this message. (laughs) See, the Bible in James, it says, faith without works is dead. And I love this because real faith is faith you're willing to stand on. That's what faith is. Like, there's so many times where I'm like, yeah, I can believe that for you. I, I can say it for you. Yep, I can tell you what the Bible says, but when it comes to me, it's like, ooh, it's a little heavier there. That's when my faith has to engage. That's when I have to trust. And that's when I have to say, God, do I trust you? And what I found, the times when it's the most difficult to take that step of faith is usually areas where I trust God the least. You know, when I, when I have to trust Maybe my kids in the hands of God. It's like, ooh, really? Like, like really them? Like, I can trust you for myself, but trust you with them? Or, or maybe it's with that speaking out against something or letting a friend go or, or whatever it is. It's like, ooh, God, do I really trust you in that? Do I trust that you'll be good to me in this thing? And I have to check my heart and allow God to deal with me in that I know a lot of times when I'm trying to take these steps of faith, I'm like, but what if it's the wrong one? What if it's the wrong step of faith? What if I make a mistake? And I just wanted to share this scripture with you to encourage you. It's Psalms 37, 23 through 24. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. I'm going to say that again, in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And what I hear when I hear this scripture is God saying that I know every single thing you're going to think, feel, do, every fear that's going to come in your mind. I know every detail of your life, and I want to lead you through that. But I also know you're not perfect. You don't hear me perfectly. You don't follow me perfectly, and you're going to stumble. So I'm telling you now, I'm letting you know you are going to stumble, but I've got your hand. And even though you may stumble, you won't fall because I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to put you on the right track. And I'm going to continue to lead you because I love you. I love this scripture because that probably challenges my faith more than anything else. It challenges me that when I mess up, will I trust God? When I make the wrong move, do I trust that he's good enough to pick me up and get me right back on the path that I need to be on? During these three months, God was no doubt doing a lot to equip and prepare Yehokaved. Because the next step that she was going to have to take is point three. And point three says she built an ark and let him go. 
So this baby that she carried for nine months, this baby that she loved, this baby that she put all of her faith in to save and care for for three months to keep him quiet, now he's saying, okay, now let him go. Put him in the ark, put him in my hands, and let your hands go off of it. What another step of faith. Thankfully, he loved her enough to give her those three months to prepare. I try to picture myself in this moment putting my little baby in a boat into the Nile River. If I actually picture myself doing it, it's a real sad story because she drowns. Because I can't build a boat. Um, and, and I'm sh- quite sure I couldn't keep it from being sink-proof. But if I could, I was doing some research and there are crocodiles in this Nile River. And, and they're called Nile crocodiles because they're super creative. Um, but they're the most aggressive crocodiles in the world. Today, there's tens of thousands of crocodiles in this river, and they're hunted, so I estimate that there had to have been hundreds of thousands in there at this time. And she took her little baby and put him in a boat and launched him into crocodile home. So I think I would be more afraid of it being eaten by a crocodile than just about anything else, but I also think, like, who's the person that's going to find this baby? If it's an Egyptian then they're going to grab the baby and they're going to dump him in the river and I just made it easier for them. Right? So I'm trusting that God's going to protect my baby from crocodiles. I'm trusting that God's going to bring the right person at the right time that's going to see this baby and have favor and that is going to have the resources and means to be able to protect and care for him. That's a huge step of faith. That's a huge step of faith. The closest I can get to this as a mom is um, letting my oldest start driving. Oh, so some of you have done that. Okay. Um, So for my oldest, which she's gotten much better, just so you know, like our beginning uh, nine months probably of driving were things like, uh, hey, baby, you need to stop, you need to look, and then you need to go. So she stops, goes, and then looks (laughs) with horns blaring at us, which that was quite funny because she was like, man, that's the calmest you've ever been. I said, because all I could do was pray. Like, there was no instruction. There was no direction. It was just, Jesus, please let us not get rear-ended. Um, there was also, you know, the roundabout that you go around. She went through. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly was with us. I have evidence of it, which was funny because how many of you here for Pastor David a couple weeks ago? So we were telling him this story, and he's like, I know, Bella. Like, I did the same thing. I just went right over the roundabout, killed all the flowers, and I'm like, you're not helping. You're, you're really not helping. Um, so he was just encouraging her. Uh, So yeah, I I know that you guys know this because when I put the post on social media, the majority of the comments were, oh no, we'll be watching, thanks for letting us know. Uh, No, she's much better and she's not in here so I can make that extra dramatic for this service, so it was really good. But we do have to come to a place where every decision we make, we're putting in the hands of God. And there's going to be some that are easier and there are going to be some that are much harder. And I make light of letting my 16-year-old go driving, uh, but it was actually a big step of faith for the reasons I just told you. But also because there's other drivers on the road that drive just like her. (laughs) And, And I am letting her go in the hands of all of them as well. But there are going to be other things. There's one day I'm going to have to let her go to college. One day I'm going to have to let them marry someone. That's a big step of faith. One day I have to do all kinds of things, but I have to trust that God's not going to let me fall even if I stumble in those moments. 
This is uh, based off of Psalm 127.1, and I thought it applied really well. It says, since we cannot obtain security through independent effort, let us resolve ourselves to depend in God. It's really a false sense of security if we think we can do it on our own. When we think we have it all together and we think we have it all figured out, we're probably closer to some major fall or major stumble than what we really realize. Because if our focus, if our attention, if our trust isn't in the one who stood outside of time, the one who's already been there, the one that created us and knows us better than we know ourselves, if our trust isn't in him and it's in ourself, we're in trouble. Because I know I don't know it all. I mean, I know that some of you may think I know it all, but I really don't know it all. I know Matt really believes that I know. I don't know it all. And I don't want to have to know it all. I don't want to have to carry the weight of trying to know it all. And God says, I don't want you to carry that burden. I want to do it for you. And if you'll just let me lead you step by step, the only thing I require is your trust. I require your faith. I require you when you get to those moments and it's hard for you to look to me rather than to look at what's around. And I require you oftentimes to let go. And I think what I have to let go of most of is my control my control. God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give everything that matters, everything that I care about, everything that I love, I'm going to give it to you because I trust you can do more with it than what I can do. And God teaches us this throughout the Bible. That's why we tithe. That's why we Sabbath because God's like, I'm trying to teach you to trust me because if you can't tithe and if you can't Sabbath, how are you going to put your kids in my hands? How are you going to put your future in my hands? How are you going to trust me when I ask you to step off into something you can't see if you can't do these simple things, these worldly things? God's asking for our trust, not for him, but because we need it. As we go further in the story, it says that Miriam's, Miriam, who is Moses' sister, she was probably about seven around this time when she's standing at the river watching her mom launch her baby brother into this crocodile-infested water, hoping that his life is preserved. And that's not the first time that an ark preserved life. You guys remember the story of Noah? And I can only imagine as Jehovah was building this ark, she was remembering that story. Remembering how God commanded Noah to build an ark and how Noah built something that had never been built before, and he was trusting these coordinates that God had given him to build something that was going to save him. Can you imagine if God just gave you coordinates or measurements to build something, and you've never seen it, and the world's never known it, and he's saying, and then one day I'm going to tell you to get in it, and I'm going to flood the world, and you're going to have to trust that that thing is going to save you. And I'm thinking that as she's building this ark, and she's letting him go, that she's going, God, do it again. And Miriam is hearing these prayers and she's seeing the faith in her mom being pointed to a God of her ancestors, a God of these stories, a God that she's heard of, that she's hoping shows up for her. And this little girl watched her mom walk in faith and courage. And in this moment where she's standing here and the Pharaoh's daughter finds her brother, she has to step out in faith too. Could you imagine being seven? You're a slave. That's all you've ever known. You've watched babies being thrown in the river. Friends, siblings, and all of that. 
And here's the king's daughter, the one who ordered that cruelty's daughter, find your brother, and at seven, you have to step up and speak. Step up and have courage. It's amazing faith. And I am confident that if she did not see that faith displayed before her, that she wouldn't have had the courage to do that in that moment. This little girl that watched the faith of her mama in action, you know, she goes off on to be a prophetess and a leader in Israel. In Micah 6, 4, it says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. God was doing a work in Miriam in this moment to prepare her to be a leader that led by faith. And because she was faithful in a moment at seven, he said, you're being prepared to lead nations. She was also a prophetess in Exodus 15, 20. It says that Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out with their timbrels and with dances. When we walk in faith and boldness, we're teaching the younger generation that God's worth trusting. When we're willing to look at the things in front of us and we're willing to say yes to God and they're watching, because they are watching. They are watching. We tell, we're telling them about a big, powerful God and then they're seeing if we mean it in moments where we have to step out in faith. And if you are a parent or, or have been around a parent, you know that they follow what you do, not what you say. It happens all the time in my home. And so if they don't see me reading my Bible every day, they're not going to do it. If they don't see me believing in God, coming to him in prayer when things get hard, if they don't see me speaking scripture and his promises when things are tough, they're not going to do it. But if we will and we do that, then what we'll see is they'll build off of that foundation and they might not be a mama who's launching her baby in a river. They may be leading a nation into freedom. We have the privilege and the honor of building a foundation in them that will prepare them for the purpose that they have in their life. What's the next generation seeing when they're watching you? It's kind of a sobering question. I know for all of us we can say we can do it better because we can always do it better. But I'll say this, if your heart is pointed to God, if you're living a righteous life, if you're seeking him and you're leaning on him, Remember, even though we may stumble, we won't fall. We won't fall. Because sometimes the best lessons that our kids can learn is watching us stumble and come back to God anyway. Watching us stumble and seeing him pick us up. If we did it all perfect, then they wouldn't know what to do when they stumbled. And they wouldn't see that God loves you even still. So don't be afraid to stumble in front of them. Don't be afraid to take those steps of faith, even if maybe it's the wrong one. But make sure, like I said in the beginning, where my first priority is being a child of God. Above a mother, above a wife, above a pastor, above anything else, my first priority is being a child of God. And everything else flows out of that. Because if I'm not close with him and if I'm not focused on him and if I'm not developing that relationship first, then I can't trust him like I should for all the other things. So I want to ask you to go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads today. What is God saying to you? Is there an area in your life that you haven't been able to follow him in? Is there a door that's been opened to you 
that you're afraid to walk through because you're not, you don't know what it's going to look like on the other side? Is there something that God's highlighting to you and you see it and you're afraid to take the step to move towards it? God's saying, just surrender that fear to me. Trust that I have you. I created you. I knew that you were going to walk into this moment. And in this moment, I have already been here. I have already prepared everything you need. I have the wisdom. I have the resources. I have the connections and the relationships. Everything you need in this moment. All you have to do is trust me. And if you'll walk through it with me, you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to be stronger, more prepared, more equipped, and less burdened because you let me walk you through.